I want to start by reading our key passage for today for this sermon, and then we'll go on from there. So if you'd like to read with me, you can open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 7. And I'm going to read to begin verse 7 through verse 12. This is this um, this text is from the middle or close to the end, really, of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon Jesus gave to many, many people on the hillside. And I like to look at it. There have been many descriptions given to the Sermon on the Mount um, since the day it was given. I like to look at it as really like a, a handbook that Jesus gave us for living in discipleship to him. It really was something that was given so that we can see this is what a believer in Jesus, a follower of Jesus looks like. And Jesus talked through many, many things. We could do a, a year and a half sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we would just be scratching the surface. I really believe that. So much in here. So I'm just going to take a few verses and just want us to recognize this is towards the end of the sermon. So Jesus gets getting close to wrapping up one of the most significant sermons he ever gave. And this is what it says. So Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. So that's what Jesus is saying here. If you, if you read along with that, he's saying, ask, seek, and knock. Those are the three things. Verse 9, which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then verse 12 is really where I want to focus in on today. So in everything, or in some um, some translations it says, therefore, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So that's our key text for today. And I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a couple of Jewish rabbis who were teaching and um, real leaders, grew to be real leaders and influencers in Judaism at the turn of the century between, really if you look at it, we got B.C. and A.D. And they lived, their lives actually overlapped that turn in history from B.C. to A.D. So they they were older than what Jesus would have been, but in a very similar time. These two rabbis' names were Hallel and Shammai. And this is a, this is a well-known Jewish tale. Um, it's not verified whether this is a true story or not, but it's really interesting in the context of this morning, so I want to tell it. But I want to say, I'm not sure this is true. This is an unverified Jewish tale. So according to this tale, there once was a Roman traveler who approached both Hillel and Shammai. And now, something that's, that's interesting about Hillel and Shammai is, Hillel as a Jewish rabbi was, understand this term doesn't mean exactly what it may mean in our culture, but he was more progressive in his teaching. 
um, of the um, the Torah, which the Torah was really the scriptures that they had at that time from the law of Moses. It would have it would have been made up of the Pentateuch of Genesis. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So those first five books we see in our Bible, that's what the Torah was, and that's what Jews based their teaching and their lifestyle on. And uh, I just want to just note on here, Hillel was a little more progressive in his in his teaching on it. He had some some more ideas that were probably brought in, and uh, some would describe as inspirational into the law. And Shammai was a little bit more like probably what my personality is like, a little more of a rule follower. I mean, he took the law in in generally plain terms and applied it from there. Does that make sense? So uh, this Roman man came to Hallel and Shammai, and he went to Shammai first. And this is what he said. He said, teach me the Torah while I stand on one foot, and I will convert. That's what he said to Shammai. And Shammai uh, sensed that he, this was a mockery to him. So he actually picked up a stick. It was a builder's ruler and beat him over the head with it and sent him away. Because he thought, hey, this guy's just mocking the Torah no interest in learning here, so yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to do sermon illustrations, but I decided the beating with a stick today, I couldn't do it. So there are a few people in the room I would have called up for that, but not yet. Next year. So the same guy, bold man. I, if I got beat with a stick, I'm out of there, right? Back to Rome, back home. He went to Hillel and he asked him the same question. Or really, he demanded the same request. He said, teach me the Torah while I stand on one foot and I will convert. And this is what Hillel said to him. It's very interesting. Hillel sat in thought for a moment and he said this. That which is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn. That's what he said to him. Now, this teaching that uh, that Hillel gave, that was that is really found in some of the teaching that he gave. So that's the, sort of the inspiration for some of this um, this tale. I think it wasn't all that unique around the world in philosophy and different teachers. And actually, it wasn't just uh, teaching in Judaism at the time. Uh, Confucius, five hundred years before Jesus, said this. He said, "Never do unto others what you would not like them to do to you." So very similar. Buddha said this in very Buddha terms. So try to follow along in this strange wording. He said, there's nothing dearer to man than himself. Therefore, as it, as it is the same thing that is dear to you and others, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. So Buddha had the same teaching as Hillel and Confucius. And many more philosophers, a couple more I'm going to mention later on, had the same idea. Hey, if if something is hurtful to someone, uh, to yourself, I'm sorry, something's hurtful to you, don't do it to anyone else. That was the teaching. And generally speaking, that's a good teaching. Right? I mean, imagine a world where we don't have, have that as a guideline. But let's look back at this text from Jesus again. And if if it can be put up on the screen, that's great. Jesus said this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. 
So here's my question. Was Jesus just ripping off old philosophy here? I mean, was he just ripping off Hillel and saying what he had said only a couple of decades earlier? Or is there something unique that Jesus was saying to the listeners there at that time? That's what we're going to explore today. So that's the topic of our message. And you you may have already noticed that this verse is where we get the concept that we talk about a lot now. It's very well known as the golden rule, right? Can everyone say the golden rule? The golden rule. The golden rule, if you had, didn't know where that name came from, I didn't before a couple of weeks ago. It actually got that name from a, uh, a Roman emperor, and his name was, I'm going to pull it up just for fun, uh, Alexander Severus. He was, a, he was the emperor from 222 AD to 235, so only 13 years. And he wasn't a Christian, but he was pretty friendly to Christians in his short reign. And uh, he so admired the teaching of Jesus that he took this statement and he kind of made it his personal motto. He liked it so much that he went to the palace, um, uh, for better lack of a better term, construction crew. He said, I want to take this motto and I want to inscribe it on the wall in gold. And there we have it. Ever since then, it's been the golden rule. It's that simple. Now, a lot of us think about it as the most important rule, right? It's not actually where it first came from. It is a very important rule. Um, but it actually, that, that idea came from outside of Christianity. A Roman emperor kind of took it as his motto. He really liked it. He lived by it. And he only lasted 13 years. So I don't know what that says, but that's, I'm just kidding. So philosophers have really three uh, rules that general behavior between different people fall within. All right. And I want to go through those different rules and we're going to land on the golden rule. But I, I want to start and, and just talk a little bit of philosophy. Is that OK? It's a little basic philosophy. It is biblical, but it, it's a little bit of philosophy. Is everyone OK with that? Everyone awake? Everyone awake? All right. So let's do it. So the first rule that we see, and it's from the very beginning of life, um, some philosophers call this the wooden rule. And here's the rule. Do to others what they do to you. Now, this is also known as something like tit for tat or quid pro quo. Do to others what they do to you. And that rule can be positively applied as, as you give me a gift I'll give you a gift. How many of you know it's a pretty awkward thing when you show up at a Christmas gift exchange and someone you weren't expecting to give you a gift gives you one and you're empty-handed? Anyone else? Just me. All right. This happens a lot. (laughs) And uh, it's pretty, it's like, ah, I broke the wooden rule. Like they gave to me and I couldn't give back to them. That's that's what it is. So it's, it can be positively applied as well as, you know, if you speak kindly to me, I'll speak kindly to you. If you hold the door for me, I'll open the door for you, right? Uh, quid pro quo. I gave you something, you're probably going to give me something back. That's the wooden rule. But we also apply it in our, wor- in our world very negatively and very immaturely. And, and things such as if you hurt me, I'll hurt you back. If you speak unkindly about me, I'll gossip behind your back. If you slap me, 
I'll punch you. I mean, this stuff happens in the world, right? Matter of fact, if you look at, sadly, at a, a lot of people who are behind bars in the prison system in the United States, they lived their lives by the golden rule. And that's how they got there. I had a friend growing up, and I don't want to say his name, but he was, he was in our youth ministry. Um, the kid had a great heart, just a great heart. I, I so enjoyed him, and, and he was really kind of a diamond in the rough in the community that he lived in. So, real enjoyable kid. And I, after him being in youth ministry and him graduating, I lost track of him for a few years. Until one day, so sadly, five, year, five or six years later, I saw him in the news a few years ago. A sad story. Someone had, they lived in a really rough community. Someone had shot his dad. And he was such a sweet kid, but he lived by this wooden rule. And I just, it breaks my heart that this happened. He went and chased down the guy who had shot him and, and found the guy who shot his dad before the police did and killed him. And, and today he sits behind bars, destined to life in prison, never going to see outside of captivity again. Because he lived by this wooden rule that what someone else did to you, I'm going to go do back to them. The, the wooden rule is revenge-seeking and self-justifying. And, and to be so clear, it's not consistent with the teachings of Jesus. It's just not. It's not what Jesus taught us to do. Sometimes good, right? If I open the door for you, it's great if you open the door for me. But it's not what Jesus taught for the depth of maturity. And the interesting thing about the wooden rule is it really comes into our lives from a, from a point of birth. I, mean, I, I go back and I think about a story that I want to tell this morning um, where, where as a toddler, the wooden rule applied to me very well in the fact that when you live by the wooden rule, you don't really think about other people. You don't really think about their needs you don't really think about um, helping them unless they give something to you. It, it, people are just out of mind. You're so self-centered and self-justified. And uh, this is, I thought this was a really funny story. I've told this story. It's a funny story. And honestly, sometimes when I tell a story, I like to go verify that my information is correct. So this week I was texting my mom, kind of verifying this toddler story, because I didn't want to lie to you all this morning and make it something it wasn't. And I kind of found out, um, mom might have a little trauma around this. So I'm sorry for bringing this up this week, mom. So um, when I was three years old, we we had a church. My parents had a church. I was only three, so I can't say we. We had a church that was meeting in a civic center. We hadn't found a building yet. It started as a home church, sort of like this church was. It was growing, but we hadn't found a permanent home yet. And uh, one day, my dad, I, I really get the, the love for sermon illustrations from him. He had a sermon illustration that involved some matches. I don't know what it was, candles, fire of some kind. In the civic center, probably not a good idea. It, it went off without a hitch in service. But I remember as a three-year-old, um, I saw those matches at church and I was like, if I could light one of those babies up, that would be really cool, right? But everyone said no. No one would let me do it. And I, I remember after church, I, this was, um, this would have been late fall 2002. We we had gone home from church. I'm a homeschool kid, lots of siblings, 15-passenger van is what I'm saying. And we went home from church. As soon as we got home, mom heard the landline ringing in the house. So she left the car running, 
rolled down the windows. It was late in the fall, but it was southern Illinois, not like here. It wasn't so hot. I'm sorry, it wasn't so cold. It was a little warmer. Nice day. So don't get mad at my mom for leaving us in the car. Um, she left in the car myself, a three-year-old, my older brother, a four- or five-year-old at that point, a younger brother that's two, and a five-month-old. But, but we're all still strapped in our car seats. And if you remember car seats from those days, it took a war to get out of one of those things. It just, they were really tough to get open. So she ran inside. Now, we're all asleep in the car. I wake up, and uh, I start working on my latches on my car seat, and I get that thing undone. I get out. I start, you know, toddling out of one of the back rows in a 15-passenger van, climbing over everything probably. And I look over as I'm, I'm about to get out the door, and I see that matchbox. And I was like, no one's here. Here's my chance. Now, you may already be thinking, a three-year-old? Really, Matt, you remember this story? I'm telling you, I remember one thing from being a three-year-old, and I remember that day. I remember it all. And uh, I got those matches, strike, strike, strike. One came alive. And I remember I'm sitting between two front bucket seats in the van, and I'm just holding that match, that match like, fire. You know, like a three-year-old. That is amazing. Amazing. And I remember enjoying it for five or ten seconds, and then it burned down to my fingers, and I had this panic. Oh, oh shoot, what do I do with it? Now, I didn't have the capacity to realize you just blow it out. So I dropped it. And I just, I, this is the most memorable moment from this whole thing, watching that match fall on the carpet and light a flame. And I'm just saying, like, as a three-year-old, what have I done? So, this is where the wooden rule comes in. No thought for my siblings at all. No thought for my siblings. I hightail it out of there. I'm out of the car. Gone. My my mom looks back at this story. She says she doesn't know how I got out of the car. I don't remember how I got out of the car. All I know is I got out of the car and no one else got me out. So I left them. It's what happened. All right. Wooden rule. I had no thought for them. No thought for their safety. I'm out of here for myself. Praise the Lord. My oldest brother walked through the house, saw the flames starting to come up, and just ran out there. My mom saw it too. She just froze. Sorry, mom. She just froze. And my brother went and just pulled all three of those kids, including a five-month-old, out. Everyone was safe. Everyone was fine. And um, it, it would be much like if you had a fire in very rural Ballotin, and you had to wait for a rural fire department to get together and get out to your car. Let me just, let me just say it this way. That van burnt to a crisp. Totally to a crisp. Like, I remember them rolling the frame up on, on a flatbed. I mean, it was bad. Anyways, that whole story took way too much of my sermon time. Just tell you that living by a wooden rule is built in us, but it's a real mark of immaturity. It's a real mark of immaturity. We don't look out for the needs of other people. So Jesus must call us something more. So from there, we can go on and we can see the next rule of philosophy in how we interact with one another. And that's the silver rule. Now, the silver rule is this. And it's actually what Hallel talked about earlier. It's what Confucius referenced. It's what Buddha te- 
uh, taught, excuse me, and it's this, don't do to others what they don't do to you. In essence, don't leave them in a burning van if they wouldn't leave you in a burning van, right? Now, this rule, as I said, really predates Jesus. In a few places, we still see this applied today uh, in our culture are, are like this. I mean, if you look at the concept of karma in Buddhism in that form or in Hinduism, it's really centered around this rule. Don't do to someone else what you wouldn't want them to do to you. Uh, Hippocrates stated this rule as well. And we see this in the Hippocratic Oath that doctors used to take. Some still do. I'm, I'm a little confused on where, where that is now. But, but the, the rule from Hippocrates was this, was first, do no harm. Don't do any harm. Now, this, this rule, let me be clear, I'm not totally talking down on this rule. It's a huge leap in maturity from the wooden rule. I mean, when you go from the wooden rule to the silver rule, you've gone a long way in human maturity where I'm not going to do something to you if I wouldn't want you to do it to me. And, and we apply this rule so broadly in our culture, um, in just the way that we are tolerant to one another. Now, tolerance has become a bit of a political word, but we are pretty tolerant to one another. We put up with each other. We work together in our workplaces with a lot of different quirks. Sometimes people do make mistakes and we say, that's all right, I'll cover for you, right? We we apply tolerance in our world very well, uh, as well as acceptance, just accepting other people, and just general restraint that we have in our human behavior. And and these things, as I said, they are incredibly important. But here's what they don't do. And I'm not talking, I just want to be so clear, I'm not talking the silver rule down. I'm just saying, this is why Jesus was teaching the golden rule. He said, this is what it doesn't do. Number one, it doesn't get us to godliness. It doesn't get us to Christ-likeness. Number two, it doesn't get us to active love. Realize that the silver rule is like the negative of the golden rule. It says, don't do to others what you wouldn't want them to do to you. When Jesus says, do to others, right? So so the silver rule is really a rule of inactivity. When we apply it, we really kind of step back and say, I'm not going to do something, right? So it's like a negative golden rule. The other thing about this that's true is it doesn't get us to sacrificial love. Again, we're not going beyond our basic needs of what someone else would do to us or for us. We're just holding back from what we might want to do to someone else. Ultimately, it just doesn't get us matured in Christ's likeness. It doesn't take us that far when it comes to being like Jesus. And Jesus' call was much higher so I want to read that verse again from what Jesus said and, and say it exactly how he say it, said it and realize the implication. So in everything, Matthew seven twelve. so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. As far as we know, with everyone before Jesus and all the philosophers who said the silver rule, no one had said the golden rule until this day. It, just like so many teachings of Jesus, it was revolutionary for the world. A new concept that you would sacrifice for someone else like you would wish 
they would sacrifice for you. Or, or you would give generously to someone else beyond the typical measure, just as you would wish that they might do it for you. So, so why was this so different? Jesus was calling his followers to action, like I said, not inaction. He was calling them to take steps and actions of love for one another and for others. Next, Jesus was broadening the scope beyond the love of those. Hey, Elie, you're going to come preach with me? She always wants to come up here. I love it. (laughs) Oh, I love you, Elie. Give it a few years. We'll let you preach up here. Got to get my my mind back right. So Jesus was broadening the scope of who we love. Now, he didn't speak to it directly here, but in this same sermon, um, two chapters earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus said. You've, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Think about that. That's the wooden rule. But I say to you, don't resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek... Turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with them for two. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. For you have heard it was said. Again, Jesus is referencing an older teaching. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. And listen to this. This is really interesting. For if you love those who love you, listen, that's the wooden rule and the silver rule, loving those who love you. Jesus said, what reward do you have? If that's all you do, Uh, do not even the tax collectors do the same. Or he said this, if you greet only your brother, only the people who are like you, look like you, agree with you, live in the same area as you and, and talk like you and believe the same things. If you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Or what he's saying is the unbelievers do the same. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father in perfect. So Jesus really here, to be clear, was summarizing the manner in which his followers would stand out from others. When Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. He was saying to the disciples, coming out of Matthew chapter 5, this is how you're going to stand out in his teaching. This is how you're going to look different and how different you would look. If when someone not only gives to you, but you go and give way beyond measure or your enemy does something towards you and you go and bless them. I mean, think about how radical that teaching is. You know, there when we talk about um, the different ways that we um, stand out from the world. It's a really interesting question as disciples of Jesus. Those of you in here who have given your, your life to Jesus and said, I want to follow you. But there are many ways that we believe 
that we might stand out from the world. And, and many I've heard over time care about this topic because they want to be able to share the gospel with people. They want people to say, hey, there's something different about you. What is it? And, and you want to be able to say, it's Jesus in me. It's Jesus living inside of me. As believers, as being the light of the world, this is really important to us. But there there are a few ways that I've heard people say that be- other people would see they're a believer, see they're a disciple in different behaviors. And, and I just want to list a few of them of the things that I've just heard over time in the church and, and do some observations. So the first one that I hear from people is, is um, if I'm able to defend my faith, People will know that I'm a real believer. And, and that's virtuous, right? In First Peter, um, the teaching there was always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. So important, right? The ability to give a defense of our faith. But realize if someone's asking you to give an account for your faith, they already know you have faith. That's why they're asking for a defense. So I don't think that's what Jesus was looking for when he said, this is how you're going to stand out. A second way that people say they might stand out is they say, I have more joy and peace in my life from the Holy Spirit abiding in me. And people will see that joy and peace living in me and they'll know that I'm different. Now, that is true. Again, it's very true. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you'll have deeper joy and peace than many, many people out in the world who don't know Jesus. However, I have found this this case to to not be always biblically centered for for a stance of how I'm going to stand out. And I've also seen some people who are real followers of Jesus, and I'm like, you have way less peace in your life. You have way less joy in your life than some unbelievers that I know. So it's just not a perfect application for us. Does that make sense of why it's not a perfect measure of how we're going to stand out from the world and people will see Christ in us? The third one, and we talk about this often in the 21st century, is, is some people say they'll, they'll be known because they live a holy life. Or around other people, they don't curse or swear. Or, or they're just living different than others in the way that they follow the law of God. Again, very good. Please follow the law of God. It's important for your life. But when we root our witness to Christ in how we follow the rules that God gave us, even the rules of grace, it's great when people see that. But let me just tell you, when we get to the end of this, that's not how Jesus said we'll be known. It's not how he said we'll be known. A couple more that I've seen, and I'll go quick through them. Um, some people say, hey, we are so abundantly blessed. We, we've had such prosperity that Christ, people will see Christ blessing us. Again, good. I'm grateful God blessed you. I'm really grateful. But that's not how people will see Christ in you. There are plenty of unbelievers who are quite wealthy and quite blessed. Another one is we give generously. People will know by the fact that we give generously. But again, I see so many unbelievers in the world who give so generously to in-world crises, but they're not giving out of a heart for Christ. So it's not a perfect Christian witness to say that's how they're going to know me. And then a couple more that I've seen recently, more recently, is, is fighting for God on cultural issues. I don't think I need to explore it all that deeply this morning, but that's not how people are going to know you're a disciple of Jesus. That's not what Jesus said would make you stand out. 
or just a general vocalness about our faith. Um, speaking, speaking scripture and situations in the workplace, right? Again, not necessarily bad at all. But let me just get to the end of it. I know that was a long explanation. I'm boring myself for a second. But in, in John 13, this is where I want to land. This is what Jesus said. He said to his disciples, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Think about that. If we love another like Jesus loved us, how, how much did Jesus love us? To the point of death, death on a cross. He said, even, whoops, even as I have loved you, you should love one another. And Jesus said, this is so important, so important when we go and apply the golden rule of doing to others as we would have them do to us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying, if you want people to know you are my disciple, that you follow me, that I live in you, that the Holy Spirit abides in you, do this. Love one another. And, and I'm tying the two together here to say that when we follow the golden rule of Jesus and, and we do to others what we would have them do to us, and we do it beyond, hey, if you don't do it to me, then fine, I won't do it to you. And, and it goes beyond self-protection. That's where Jesus is both abiding in us and that is where we find our witness for him. So, so I just want to, I want to land on a practical application here as I close in this. The golden rule comes out in our life in many ways when we start living as disciples to Jesus. But there are a few in particular that I just feel are timely as I was praying this week of, man, how, how do I come to how we live the golden rule. There are a few that just came to my heart that I want to mention. Number one, we practice unmerited forgiveness, undeserved forgiveness for other people. That is how we love as Christ loved us, right? Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, for our sin. Romans says, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. So number one, Practice unmerited forgiveness. Second one, practice radical giving. Giving generously is the mark that we will often see for those who are growing in love to Christ. When you go from someone who says, this is mine, I own this, and we see, hey, what I have is from God and belongs to God because I'm not my own. I was bought with a price on the cross. Then we'll see our hands open and give. That's a practice of the golden rule. The third one I want to mention is, is a teaching from the book of James. And, and in James, uh, he wrote this, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. How many of you guys know that in, in the world we live in today, there are not a lot of people who are quick to listen? And slow to speak. And, and people will see the love of Christ in us. Even if we disagree with the point that we believe they're getting to or the point they've said. If you will listen and hear them, let them speak 
then you can be slow to speak back to them. I'm telling you, in the 21st century America, people will see you are different. You are different. I, I have never heard someone listen to me like that before who disagrees with me. I, I, I don't feel like I've ever been heard like that before. So practice this teaching of James. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And then finally, to realize the context of Jesus' teaching, to do to others what you would have them to do to you, we'll go back to the beginning in Matthew 7, where I started reading in Matthew 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Jesus, in this context of, of giving the golden rule, as we call it, he's saying this, ask the Lord, seek the Lord, knock on his door. What's it rooted in? It's rooted in prayer. We can't do to others as we would have them do to us unless we are living in communion with the Lord. We can do the silver rule. You'll be a really good person. You'll be what, what my, my parents like to call grade A flesh. A really good person, but the Lord's not abiding in you. But when you give yourself to Jesus, Jesus is calling to us is to do to others, to go beyond just self-protection and the self-justification of that and to love others like as a follower of Jesus, you would desire to be loved. So let's, let's just, let's close in prayer. And I, and I want to end with this question for you, a reflection really for the week ahead to maybe look at your life and the way you interact with others and, and just consider this. What rule do you predominantly live by? It's a, it's a consideration that we can all take into the week as we go to work, as we are at home, as we interact with our family, our friends, our activities, our hobbies on the golf course. What rule do you predominantly live by? The wooden rule of I'll do to you what you do to me? Or maybe it's the silver rule. I won't do you, do to you what you do to me. Or is it the golden rule that Jesus gave us of do to others what you'd wish they do to you before they could even have a chance to do it? So that's the message for today. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity again to be together. Father, we thank you for the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount and the guide that it gives us to following you, to obedience to you and discipleship to you. Lord, I ask that as we go into this week um, and just consider what rule we live by, whether we live a life of retaliation or maybe we live a life of just uh, tolerance of getting along with everyone. Father, we just ask that when we find ourselves there living by the, the wooden or the silver rule, Lord, would you help us to see a path in the golden rule? And then, Lord, help us to step, step into active love for one another by your grace. Lord, I thank you that we are known as your disciples by our love for one another. So Lord, would you help us to abide in your love this week, even when it's challenging, even when we feel entitled to a, to a response, Lord, we just ask that your love would abide in us and through us and that you'd give us grace in that. Lord, as we go today, would your joy be with us? Would your peace go before us and behind us? And would you protect us by your blood? In your name we pray. Amen.